and welcome to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. I'm your host, Justin Wells, and this is our weekly edition of X's and O's. And when we talk X's and O's, we can only bring on the gurus. And I have got a trifecta of intelligence amongst me today. I've got Ian Boyd, who's already hydrating like a champion. He's got the he's got the the color sticker above the toilet for the kids to learn their lessons. I got Mr. Drew Kelson down here below me. And then to the corner is always the pleasure when Paul Waddlington graces us with his presence. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, viewers, please like and subscribe uh, the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Guys, we're going to go some X's and O's and we're going to we're going to expand it a little bit today. We're going to we're going to dip a little bit into the sugar bowl and, and, and some things we saw that we could tweak. We're going to we're going to talk a little bit about personal improvements. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what the expectations are from a schematic standpoint going into 2024. So we got a lot to cover. We got we, we got a lot of good stuff ahead of us. Uh, I want to start it off with something that that Kelson told us we're talking about in pre-production that I, I really think needs to be noted. And, and when someone like Kelson talks about Texas football, by God, you better listen. Uh, the guy's been there and he's done that. He tells us improvement isn't guaranteed. Every year we've seen the trajectory of Steve Sarkeesian in this program continue to climb up. Every year they've made incremental improvements, big ones in 2023. It's not guaranteed to continue to happen. I found that fascinating because I think Drew's got excellent points on, on some of this. And, and I also want to hear what Ian and, and Paul have on it as well. So let's just get started. Drew, improvement isn't guaranteed. Lay it on me. It's just not. Uh, the, the reason why. And it's funny because I, 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 I'm reading the tweets. I'm reading the comments. I'm reading InsideTexas.com, the message boards. Everyone's looking at, you know, they're taking inventory of who we have returning next year. If you just look at our offense, we have an offensive line returning, our run game, our quarterback. So it seems right now Quinn may be returning. And it's like, ooh, what if JT Sanders returns? What does that look like? We have new receivers coming in. And I think this you automatically begin to put pieces together. And you spend your offseason as fans. We get to anticipate and expect things that we don't have to work for. In reality, this time of year is probably the most challenging time of year for coaches, for players, for teams, really across the board. Because when school comes back, when you're back going back to class, when you're back doing those early morning workouts, and really over the next couple of weeks, before guys get back to school, it's like, how are they spending their time? What are they doing? Are, are they still dedicated? Is it going to take them another few weeks after getting back to workouts to really dial in? to wanting this. Uh, there, there's a difference. In last year's team, we got to hear them talk about how they wanted something. They yearned for something. They wanted to build something. We, get, we got to figure out what this team wants to do. Uh, we have several guys leaving on defense. I have several players that need to be developed and developed quickly. Um, but we also have guys on the offensive side of the ball who they've had a ton of reps. And it's how much more are they going to want and how much more are they going to, going, to, going to want to improve. And I think the most important thing for me to, to highlight, because I love our team. I love the culture we have, I love the culture we've built. I'm, I get to enjoy what they do every Saturday, what they put together. And I've heard people say how proud they are 
of the way the guys fought, the way the guys powered through, the way the guys persevered. We could have fought, persevered, and powered through and went seven and five. So if that's what we're going to say we enjoy yeah. and that we like and we appreciate, let's also be honest that we like the results. But to get those results, it starts now. And it's really, really challenging time of year uh, where the guys have to dial back in. It, it's work every day. It's 1% improvement every day. You don't get to, you don't get the adrenaline of a game to come and get you uh, to, to, to live up to. You don't get that. And so it's just it's it's there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and goes on internally in each and every player on how they evaluate themselves and how they go about this during the offseason. So it's not a guarantee that this team's going to come back and be great or mirror this next year. It's going to be determined by how they show up every single day between now and August. Uh, we can't lose sight of that. And um, I know InsideTexas.com is going to keep everybody locked in to just what's going on with the team moving forward. But it's not it's not do not take it for granted. You have to appreciate what these guys have to do in the offseason to put to do what they put on the field for us this past year. So kudos Drew, to them. But they got to get back to work. Drew, how much of that is why Mac loved playing seniors? Because with a senior, you know, sometimes they're in a contract year. Sometimes it's put up or shut up if they want to actually make it to the NFL. Like how, how big of a leap did Devondre Sweat make this year in his, in his last chance? Um, now we're hoping the same from Alfred Collins. But in the seniors also, it's like you just, you know, for it doesn't seem consistent at Texas, but, but more often than not, a senior's like, hey, if I'm going to make any real mark, any legacy as a player, this is it. It's funny you say, I think the reason why Mac played seniors was maybe a little bit different than the reason I think Sark and this, this team, why they, why they may have played seniors. I mean, there's some loyalty involved there too, Drew. There's some loyalty, maturity, and experience um, that, that was involved in that. I think during our era with with Mac, Uh, just guys, you knew you can trust. It was probably more heavily weighted on trust, but also, just not being willing in some cases to have those difficult conversations. Uh, Sark has been in the NFL. Uh, Sark is willing to tell a guy who started, you're not starting. Um, It makes us uncomfortable because you root for a guy, you root for a player. And then the next week you're like, Oh wow, that guy's on the bench or he's not getting as many snaps. Uh, We've seen that throughout this season. There's certain guys who just haven't earned snaps. And so that's one key thing I do appreciate about this culture is that, Everything is earned and you can lose your spot second game, second quarter, midseason. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, senior or not, the reason why seniors played this year is because they developed and they were great. And that's the only thing I care about. I don't care if you're a senior, if you're a freshman or anything else. If you were a three star and you developed into a great senior. Awesome. However, it does seem as though we believe we are recruiting guys that should be able to make an impact sooner on our program. So uh, hopefully we, we begin to see that more and more um, where we're not relying on seniors and we can begin become more of the program where, you know, guys have opportunities to leave a little bit early because they're coming in with talent and being developed quickly. And I mean, yeah. we have what, 17 guys coming in this spring. So yeah. um, it, it's time for development. It's going to be unpredictable coming in the next year for sure. You know, you, you mentioned it. You know, they 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 had the same vision for for a year. They wanted it. That that was the the, the 
a lot of the mantra. That was a lot of the what, what they focused on. And that was all pushed by veterans. Tavondre Sweat, Jalen Ford, Jade Barron, uh, Jatavian uh, Sanders, Christian Jones. Paul, give me a couple guys that are going to have to replace those voices in the locker room. When, when, when you want to continue that, that trajectory of going up, and you like Drew just said, you've got guys that aren't going to have to have as much development now as in the past. But a lot of those veterans are gone. Who's going to come in? Who's going to be some guys that help right that ship? Obviously, you hope quarterback. Quinn Ewers becomes a little more vocal. He took a step this, this offseason. He probably needs to take another one. Can you think of any guys just off the top of your head that you think, okay, you guys need to help make sure this thing gets gets straightened out? Yeah, I think yours is an important mention. Uh, at the very minimum, you want your quarterback to have something of a leadership role. He's a little bit more of a quiet, lead-by-example guy. Yeah. But I think, you know, we saw the difference between a quarterback in his 48th college start and his 22nd college start. So – Quinn Ewers next year after an offseason of development, comfort, leadership, I think you're going to see that. I think he's going to step into that role uh, within the construct of his personality. We don't need him to become, you know, Mr. Fiery giving a speech every 10 minutes guy. That's not necessary. There's different, he's not. different varieties of leadership. I would say one of the offensive linemen, and I'm thinking Jake Majors, Kelvin Banks. Uh, Kelvin Banks, because he's the best player on the offense potentially next year. Uh, Jake Majors, because he's a guy who's deeply experienced, he's won the respect of his teammates, played through pretty serious injury. I think people forget that uh, Jake Majors should have been a scratch in a couple of games this year, and he gutted yeah. through it. And you saw his improvement, by the way, at the end of the year, which was great to see. Uh, on defense, I'm going to throw out a name maybe you're not expecting. I would really love to see David Benda return. I, I think he's a mature guy. I think he's a smart guy. You know, there's a sense that your leader should always be your best player. That's great. But that's not actually the dynamic of a locker room. You know, that Jet Bush, I can promise you, whatever his physical abilities relative to a Derek Williams or somebody, I can promise you when he says something, people in the locker room respect him because he's physical. He gets out there. He gets after it. Uh, you don't have to be the best player on the team to to earn the the ears of your your teammates. Uh, I also think the the great thing about Sark more broadly to underscore Drew's point, he's an introspective guy. He is very self-critical. And, and not to contrast or compare him to other Texas coaches, but a lot of them, well, Tom Herman, it was it didn't work. Do it harder. <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, you're, you're running the brick wall. It didn't crack. Why aren't you running into it harder? <laughs> uh, Charlie Strong, I'd say similar kind of thing. Or, hey, we, it'll come. Let's just keep doing what we do. With Mac, it was a little defensiveness. Oh, you know, we won 10 games. I guess people are going to come out and criticize us because we lost two. But we won 10. And it's like, hey, you know, the goals win, win all of them, right? Yeah. And, and Sark is very self-critical. And he's shown it. He said it about himself. He's been self-deprecating in a halftime interview. Hey, Coach Sarkeesia, what happened there at the ha- uh, at the end of the half there at Oklahoma State? Oh, uh, the head coach blew that. The, that's what happened, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I loved it because the players see that and they go, all right, cool. You know, this is a guy who can get into me and during a film session. He just got into himself on national television. So I think that self-critique needs to expand to the team. 
Yeah. Uh, and then I think maybe we'll talk a little bit later about some guys that might emerge because you're always trying to, who's going to replace Xavier Worthy? Who's going to replace this guy? If you're doing it right in the program, there's always two or three guys, whether it's a Jalen Ford a couple of years ago to Vondre Sweat this year, who come out and you're like, whoa, I knew he had that potential, or maybe I didn't know he had that potential, but here he is. He, you know, as Dion says, you know, we here, he here. Uh, and, and you didn't always anticipate it. So I'm excited about that aspect. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Real quick, we want to we wanna make sure and, and, and give a little shout out to our sponsor, our man, the man, the myth, Andre the Lawyer. If you're injured, you got to call him. He is an inside Texas man through and through, and he has helped tons and tons of people. Andre the Lawyer at 214-444-8808. He's located in Dallas, Texas. He helps with injured Longhorns, injured anyone, for that matter, car wrecks, slips, falls, 18-wheeler accidents, on-the-job accidents, wrongful death. He has all that stuff covered for you guys. He's been a proud IT guy for a long time. And if you're hearing this, he wants to help. Andre Lawyer is a, is a great guy. He does a tremendous a lot of stuff for us in the background. And we want to make sure he y'all understand that. 214-444-8808. Andre the Lawyer. Be sure and give him a shout if you ever need to if you find yourself in that position give let, let him know we're going to shift to a thing we're going to call this set this segment schematic tweaks we saw a lot of different changes a lot of different things in 2023 some of it was carryover from 21 a lot of it from 2022 but we saw the defense get better every year and we saw a quarterback start to grow now we've got to look at 2024 what and not just 2024, you can even mention a few things you saw in the Sugar Bowl or something late during the season. Uh, I'm going to hand this off to you, Ian. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you get started. You can talk red zone offense, pressures, which is something I know Paul is going to want to talk about, uh, coverage. My man Kelson's going to have that one. Let, let, let's, get, let, let's hit on all these points because I think these are really important for not only assessing what they are now, but really what they need to be coming into the spring well let's start in the red zone because texas basically lost both the games they lost this year because of the red zone right i mean they definitely lost the oklahoma game because the red zone you could argue there i mean there's a lot of things that went wrong in the sugar bowl but uh with a better red zone performance they might have stole that game late right and um two two consistent problems they had were not being able to uh, uh, impose their will in the interior line in the run game when they got down in tight spaces. I think that actually got better as the year progressed. Majors got better. Um, DJ Campbell got better and better, and he's obviously the kind of guy that solves for that problem as he continues to develop. The other area, though, was quarterback play. Uh, and it's kind of funny because I, I recall that Quinn Ewers won the job from Hudson Card uh, was said to have, said to have won it because of a red zone drill in fall camp in 2022. Texas's red zone offense and passing game this year were not very impressive. Uh, the timing wasn't precise enough. The timing wasn't precise enough on that fourth down throw. Um, their ability to get through progressions wasn't there. You'd think that a team with as many receiving weapons as Texas had could have dialed up a number of, uh, of uh, rubs and switches and all sorts of concepts to spring guys open and hit them in the red zone. I mean, they had 
Jatavian Sanders and Adonai Mitchell are both awesome fade ball weapons. Uh, Whittington is a great slant guy. He can break tackles. Worthy is impossibly quick laterally. But they were just never very impressive or diverse with their red zone passing schemes, right? And uh, I, it, a lot of it is clearly just that the timing and the ability for Quinn to progress quickly in those tight windows just wasn't there. Uh, so, I mean, when we talk about improvements that need to start happening immediately, yeah, one of them is is Quinn not just as a leader, which I probably is, he's he's in decent shape there as a leader, but his footwork, his ability to go through progressions, and just his ability to unlock a wider array of options when they get into compressed space is enormous for next year. I think it's funny, too, with red zone, we saw the four-down goal line stand by Oklahoma, which essentially pretty much wrapped that – or was the basis of that win. And what I remember, Ian, you and I were talking about, is Tavondre Sweat shooting through a line and Byron Murphy shooting through, and we're turning around and giving it to a 190-pound, 200-pound running back and just thinking, what an option those guys might be. I mean, goodness, they, they could probably walk, lean forward and fall in the end zone. Now, granted, I didn't know they were going to be pass catchers. I didn't know Byron Murphy was going to catch a touchdown. I didn't know Tavondre Sweat was going to catch a touchdown. But to your point, there were adjustments over the year because that red zone, th- those problems were early, and then we did see them a little bit late as well. Talking about getting pressure, because I've got a ton of friends uh, in the Texas football world, some of them that are you know former Longhorns and – they asked me the same thing. Who's going to get sacks this year? Who's going to get to the quarterback? Because it seems to be a recurring question, especially in the Sark era. I know my man Paul has some strong thoughts on this. Um, if there's one thing that could be improved, in my opinion, overall, it's getting to the other team's quarterback, disrupting timing, you know, get, getting, it, getting him out of his processes. Paul, what do, what do we have to do here? What are you seeing and, and what kind of things need to happen for the edge and the pass rush to be a pass rush. So <clears throat> there's there's some opportunities there. And the, the one thing that I want to talk about, not just using Washington as an example, because it's not always the best example because it's such a sophisticated and talented passing offense. But these are this is something that I saw throughout the season. And that is I think Texas needs a little bit of a tweak in their pressure packages specifically uh, with regards to coordination disguise and urgency. You want to have all three of those things. If failing that, you want to try to get two out of the three. And sometimes Texas had one out of the three or zero out of the three. And I think that's something that we can look at in the offseason, particularly if you watch that Michigan-Alabama game. I think you saw the laser point accuracy of some of Michigan's pressures. Uh, aided and abetted, frankly, by the fact that Alabama's O-line and quarter, quarterback aren't quite there in recognition. But, you know, that was a that was a feature, not a bug for Michigan's defense. They knew that coming in. And I think Texas can match that. But the, they're going to need a little introspection on that, that that we talked about that Sark has. So, you know, the great philosopher Ice Cube once said that a blitz is a blitz. But I disagree. Uh, I think that your coordination and your timing and your execution of the blitz matters. What you have up on the screen right there is an optimistic example of the pressure package we ran on Washington early in the game. This is the play where Michael Penix threw the, the dart to uh, to Mr. Polk uh, of Beast Texas fame. 
And then uh, we had some trouble getting them on the ground when the single high safety got over. So what you'll see here, and this is a lot going on. It's very busy, but it's instructive. And I want to thank Ian for drawing this up. We're running a T and E stunt. So what, what's happening is the T, the, the tackles are drifting out to try to influence the, the blocking scheme. The edges are looping in. And at the same time, you have both linebackers taking off on a blitz. However, they're doing what I would call a jog blitz, meaning at the, the opening of the blitz, they're lined up at depth. They're kind of starting haltingly trying to read the blocking, uh, trying to see if a gap pops open inspired by the TE stunt. At the same time, if you look down at the very bottom, you'll see the nickel, and that's Jade Barron in that play. Uh, he's blitzing as well, which is sort of Pete Kwiatkowski's default of we need some pressure, let blitz the nickel. Well, that had some novelty early in Pete's time here at Texas, but that's now been well scouted. We're not getting home with that nickel blitz ever. And uh, that's been the case for a number of reasons. In this instance, it's because Washington has a tight end assigned to the nickel. Uh, Washington also has a back in the backfield who just steps up and, and nullifies the blitz from Jalen Ford. The other linebacker gets lost in the wash. You don't even, he just, he kind of jogs into the line of scrimmage and, and gets lost. And then Ethan Burke, who's the top defensive end, and you guys can pull up the clip on YouTube if you want to see this live. He actually loops and either because the stunt ain't going to get there or because maybe that's how it's drawn up. He gets up in no man's land, almost as a spy on Michael Penix. But that's an unnecessary spy because Michael Penix is looking downfield and he's basically uh, in shotgun and he's also taking a drop off the shotgun. So he's actually in a seven step drop. Uh, he's looking to, as, as our friend Kelson said in our text thread, he saw Thompson up top and single high. And that's an auto fade down the sideline. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So this is a pressure package that I would be. I would be wrong if I said we didn't attempt to pressure. I would say the execution, the coordination, and the urgency of this pressure was, was not going to work before the whistle. And the ease with which Washington handles this is not just a, a matter of personnel, but also the fact that I don't think it was ever going to get there uh, because you literally have a defensive player running into a blocker opposite him at the snap of the ball. And, and really good pressure and blitz packages play with time and space to find gaps, even against good offensive lines. And so what I would like to see in this, and, you know, again, second guessing, and I'm trying to illustrate a larger principle, not just something against Washington. This is something we saw a little too often. You want to get one of those backers up on the line of the scrimmage, right? You want instantaneous pressure because the disguise aspect ain't working on Michael Penix. He's no. been there, seen that. That offensive line's been there seeing that. They're yawning. What you want to try to do is mess up the blocking early and create some one-on-one -on -one matchups inside and, and not necessarily uh, be relying on a formulaic pressure and then exposing your secondary because you get the worst of both worlds there. Another aspect that I mentioned, this is the nickel, not, not corresponding to this exact pressure, but when he needed some uh, pressure, Pete Kwiatkowski on default would just blitz our nickel. And what you'll notice is with spread offenses, what they're trying to do is not just spread you out in terms of the receivers, but they're also spreading out the line of scrimmage. So what you're ha what's happening is your nickel is so far out that when you do bring him, even if he isn't blocked, he's not getting to an experienced quarterback. 
the quarterback knows the extra man blitzer from the edge in almost all protections is on him. And what you saw repeatedly, whether Dylan Gabriel, Michael Penix, is that experienced quarterbacks ate up our nickel blitz or ignored it or, st or stepped up slightly in the pocket and the nickel blitzer does a flyby, right? Th there's got to be some different and more creative ways that we can come up with pressure and scheme packages, which will introduce a little more sophistication to our defense. Michigan would be a good place to start to do a little off-season film study. And now I'll turn it over to you gentlemen to see what you think. Well, let me, yeah, I'd love to chime in with something on this. Um, this one is a man blitz. This is the same type of man blitz that they fired off against Houston. Mm -hmm. And they kept getting destroyed on the slot shallow crossers. Yep. Um, Mesh. It's, Mesh. These man blitzes. They, I mean, they ended up with seven guys rushing the quarterback on this play. And I, I, like Paul said, the, the, the arrows are a little optimistic. Nobody beat a block. No. There, nobody actually got past a Washington blocker uh, because the timing was bad, like Paul said. And um, so they, they run these man blitzes where they're in man coverage. And then they'll have linebackers where it'll be like, uh, hey, you got the tight end. And if the tight end stays in the block, join the blitz. And the recognition and timing was always pretty bad. If you got the running back, if the running back blocks, you join in and blitz. And the whole thing is obviously just not well coordinated. And it's not what Pete Kwiatkowski was famous for at Washington. At Washington, when he brought the nickel, the linebackers would be dropping and he'd like drop the buck off the other end. And so if you didn't see it coming, the nickel was dropping your quarterback for a loss. If you did see it coming, well, it's a four man pressure and everybody's back in coverage. But the coverages that he used in those blitzes are not the base coverages at Texas. And it really feels like Pete Kwiatkowski is kind of like, he's lost his comfort zone with designing pressures when they don't have the match three, you know, pattern matching cover three behind it. It just seems like there's still a disconnect between the coverages Texas wants to run and the blitzes that Pete Kwiatkowski has been uh, most famous for um, dialing up. Gosh, it, it's, it's definitely <laughs> everything has to be in sync. Right. So I, I feel strongly that players, players, player development determine schemes. Um, so I do feel as though we have a staff that will adjust schemes to the players we have without bona fide edge rushers that we know can get to the quarterback and at least apply pressure and put these tackles on skates or beat them in one-on-ones. You kind of, if you know, you don't have that, then you have to do everything else that a team will do that a team that doesn't have that will do. Uh, so I, I do feel from a, from a player development standpoint, that's going to be a key factor when it comes to pressures this offseason uh, because then you can mix in coverages. You can mix in more coverages um, behind some of those some of those blitzes. I mean, one of the key things that you mentioned, Michigan, that I appreciate is you never really knew if they were in man or in zone. And by the time you figured it out, he, the pressure was already on the quarterback. You weren't waiting for someone – 
seven yards off the line of scrimmage or seven yards outside the tackle box to come in and pressure from, from, from a nickel position. So it's definitely an area we'll need to focus on. Um, I do, I can't wait to hear a bit more about who's going to develop and who's going to come in and actually flash and show that we can do some different things because I do think players dictate what you can do in these schemes. And it was obvious we did not have, we just didn't have what we needed in this game against this team, at least uh, to get the pressures we needed. But it was also, uh, we saw it throughout the season. Uh, we just, we didn't have guys that, that we knew on the edges uh, could, could get to, could get home consistently in a threatening manner. How much of that, you know, we, we the coverage is a part of that, obviously, but how much we know how much the pressure affects the coverage. You, you get some pressure, the coverage looks better. You don't get pressure. The coverage becomes a little more exposed. How do you tweak that in the back end? How do you make sure, you know, when, when Thompson's on the field, the, the, the fade is, is not necessarily the automatic play? How, does, how is Texas going to tweak this back end? Because, honestly, their, their strength was the front seven, I feel like, in 2023. In 2024, that back end might be more talented. Definitely, yeah. you know, higher-rated guys – you know, how do you see that being tweaked a little bit? And and, and let's just assume there's a, there's some added pressures in 2024. They're getting to the quarterback. They're at least disrupting timing. What what would you adjust, tweak from the coverage standpoint? Just go get Ed Reed. <laughs> well, one, one thing, John Taylor. <laughs> one thing I'll say is, while I want to focus on players, and I think once you get bona fide players in coverage let's just say just in general you have corners that you know like i'm old-fashioned right I, I hate the corners that celebrate after every play but personally i wish i would have seen more celebrations by our corners this year it's just like making plays on the ball they're in coverage they're making plays on the ball yeah we didn't see nearly enough of that this year and, and, and that's something that i want to hear more about just guys who are developing that we know we can leave on an island it's not a 50 50 ball uh, no team, there's no gimmies. There's no free plays they can just throw up. That, that's one key thing. But that's more from a player perspective. One thing I'll say that I think we need to be better from a from a coaching and in the scheme perspective is, especially when it comes to blitzing and in coverage and behind, is I prefer blitzes that get on the quarterback quickly. Uh, but if it's not going to get on the quarterback quickly, the guys have to understand the routes and the routes that are most threatening and be in position to take on those hot routes. So when it comes, whether you're in man coverage or in zone coverage, this is one of the most challenging things for me when I moved to linebacker. It was being certain. Like, I can know where the hot route is going to come from, but I also don't want to overplay it or kind of get there too fast. But also you can be a step late. Um, I mean, there was a play where, where the tight end wasn't covered no, against Washington, and it's just literally all they needed was two yards. Penix just gets the ball, tight end turns and comes and turns around. That was the hot route. We, we, I mean, he knew, they knew that's where that throw was going. We weren't in position to discourage it. We, we literally just gave it to them. So I think that's one of the key things I'd like to see us work in schematically is guys being a little bit more educated on where the hot throws are, um, being in position to discourage them. It's not even sometimes about breaking it up. If you're in position to discourage these throws, the quarterback will do a pump fake and go look somewhere else. And so I think that's the key thing we want to see is just guys in windows. You do not need to be there to make the play, to break up in certain times, but you have to discourage the throws sometimes to allow the pressure to get there. 
Can, can I add something very quickly on that, Justin? Absolutely. I, I know exactly the play Drew is talking about. It was, the, it was the throw to Westover. It was a third and two. We ran zone. And at the same time, we brought that play side linebacker on a blitz from depth. So all Westover literally did, Drew was not exaggerating, was take two steps forward to the vacated space and turn around. Because we're in zone, there's no one threatening that hot route. Unless, unless you've got an Earl Thomas back there who can freestyle within the scheme because he's a, a football genius with elite physical ability, there, we lost that play before the snap of the football. Their call versus our call. Another example of that was the – do you remember the speed out when they had third and nine in the late second half when they were driving? Yes. Drew's smiling. He knows. Because as a guy who played some safety – you know how impossible it was to ask Michael Taft lined up inside to cover an NFL receiver running an out route, right? You have two on two there. We don't have three on two. And, and we're asking the safety to go cover an out. And, and I know uh, Ian has, has mentioned that. I've mentioned that, right? You saw little examples of that even in the Wyoming game, right? Where they kept spamming that little out route uh, and, and getting yards uh, because of our coverage, and then eventually we jumped it and, and, and turned it against them, right? To Drew's point, the overplay uh, paid off there because we said, Jaron, just go jump that, and he did. So uh, I, I'm not concerned about when Washington made baller plays. You just tip your hat and go, you're awesome, dude. I don't like the plays that we lost schematically before the snap of the football. And I think that's yeah. the thing we want to ruminate on and fix in the offseason – Personnel, to Drew's point, are part of that, okay? We can, Ian and I can, and Drew and I can draw up all sorts of cool stuff on a whiteboard. If I'm at safety, we can't execute any of it, right? Uh, <clears throat> look, I'm not going to brag, but Drew, I ran a 5.040 in high school. I don't know if you know what it's like to run that fast, but. I, I actually, I, I honestly, I honestly thought you were probably faster than that. Well, I just, I if you would have told me four six, four seven, I would have believed you. You didn't have to well, say five. You didn't have to tell Drew the truth. Was, when Drew was ten years old, he ran a five oh forty. That's the, <laughs> you know. Paul's but, head's about to explode. But but my point is, uh, we can ruminate, and and Ian and I can be Mister Scheme and everything. But if you don't have the players, you don't have the players. I think we've got the players. Look, we we played a playoff game with two true freshmen on the field, and and one of them we were like, oh God, we need this guy because he's out for the first half. Manny Muhammad of the corners played the best. Yeah. I mean, unreal. He's 18 years old, guys. It's the most yeah. exciting part of, of that. He's going against NFL gonna... receivers, and he was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you know, crazy. To, to Drew's point, you know, you want it, you don't want to see cocky corners. You know, the ball's overflown, and you see the corner going, yeah, I had that coverage. No, brother. Try again. A little... Right, right. But Manny Muhammad – has some of that edge to him. And I think when he's 19 and he's 20, you're going to see more of that confidence on the field. So when he does knock down balls, when he does make a good play, you're going to see that. And I think you're going to see people feed, other players feed off that as well. It's a, it's a really good segue because I want to talk about, in a bigger picture, about tweaking the personnel. Because we, we, we've we waxed on, on the 2023 Sugar Bowl. We've talked about Washington Michael Penix slash Warren Moon. I mean, the dude, the dude just absolutely fried people up. How do you 
what do you tweak going in to, to, to 2024? You know, I think what we started with was the most important maintaining improvement, continuing improvement, finding that edge, finding that that direction, that 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 motivating, galvanizing factor that leads you to another big season. And 2024 could very well be that. Ian, what would you tweak about this, about these groups? What would you, you know, what would you tweak on? And, and, I, and I'm, I'm just going to be general about it. You can go offense or go defense. And then I'm going to ask Drew and, and, and Paul something similar, but also who's going to rise? Because we saw last year Jalen Ford take that big next step, which I don't know if anyone expected that. You know, this season we, we saw some other guys take a few big steps, like an, a Vernon Broughton. Alfred Collins was flashing at times. Ian, you start off with it. Let me know kind of what you're seeing from a little tweaks personnel standpoint, and then I'll hand it off to, to, to Drew and Paul. <clears throat> Boundary coverage is a place where the personnel was not suited to do what they had to do. Um, there's And there's two tweaks they can make there. One is to actually play their rangier coverage safety in the boundary. Uh, you got the nickel on the other side of the field. If the team plays two slots to the field, then you got to adjust to that. Yeah. But when they would teams all year long in Washington, of course, took advantage as well, would play a second slot or the only slot in the boundary. And they knew those safeties, those were usually bigger safeties that were more like run stoppers and they were not well suited to cover as, as much as they were asked to cover by the scheme. And then uh, the linebacker was not helping them much either. I, I think our, our friend Scott Gerlach made some good points that they did not want to ask a lot of Anthony Hill in coverage this year. It's, it's really remarkable that he played linebacker as well as he did this year because it's such a difficult cerebral position. But <clears throat> insofar as he did, it was in the run game and it was just being a destructive, you know, bomb. Right. Like that guy, when he's in C ball, hip ball mode, he just blows things up. But when in coverage, that's, that's going to be an area for improvement. Um, I think he can probably end up being pretty good in coverage. He goes backwards a lot better than you might've guessed from like watching his high school film. But um, right now, I mean, he just doesn't, he doesn't know those assignments. He doesn't know that position yet. Um, they didn't want to put him out in space. So they'd say, Hey, Taff, <laughs> Cover that slot from 10 yards deep. Uh, okay, coach, you know, there's a lot of that. They they really need – I mean, they've not had good coverage at weak side linebacker in a long time now because DeMarvion Overshone wasn't really a zone guy either. Mm -hmm. uh, no. He was pretty good, at, pretty good at man coverage, but anything that was zone could be could be dicey. And, and then last year they went from being like – bad in zone, but good in man coverage at weak side linebacker to basically not having, not playing coverage at weak side linebacker. Um, so that, I mean, that's, that was a lot to overcome. There's the, they can make either of those tweaks. They could play Derek Williams in the boundary instead of the field. And that would help. They could convert Ryan Watts to a boundary safety and that might help. And then they can just, you know, teach, Anthony Hill, the rest of the linebacker position, and that's going to make a lot of difference as well. What about Jelani McDonald? I uh, as and, much and, upside as anybody on that defensive side of the ball, Paul. I need to see that kid like close and personal. I haven't gotten close, close to him. I've seen him across the field. I haven't got close to him. I, I haven't seen how, how, he's, how he's put together 
Justin. I know you have, but I'll, I'll give I'll give a little synopsis before Ian answer, a, answers that question. Jelani was a multi-sport guy to the to the fullest. Starting quarterback, he also started at corner. As he played quarterback, he also played corner on the other side of the ball and was crazy effective. Kobe Black opposite the other side. No one threw on Connolly. He was an all-district, all-area basketball player of the year, averaged about 25 a game, unbelievable hops, athleticism, bunnies, basketball, IQ. I went and watched him play basketball more than I did football. Then he won gold at state track meet in the triple jump. Like, this guy can do it all. And so leading all that at the Army, at the All-American Bowl last year, um, practices down in San Antonio, Jelani was taught, was told you'll be linebacker. Well, they I think they had a couple guys get hurt, so they moved him to safety, and then they moved him to corner. By the third day, Jelani McDonald was the best corner in the entire game. Jelani McDonald can do everything. Now, how does that translate to co- at the next level? I'm going to let Ian handle that one. I have no idea. I've never seen this guy. I've never seen this guy play like a full game of football at one position. He's just like this blank canvas that's. It seems yeah. like you could literally paint anything what, on. Would how so would I, you I, compare? So so because I when I look at his measurables, I'm wondering if and I'm not saying he's a corner, but if he could be what we want, what we would want Watts to be, which is more athletic, yes. more flexible, more bendy, more explosive. Better hit. Yeah, he's he's a big kid. I mean, he's six two, almost two hundred. Um, it sounds like he's just a better, more physically fluid Ryan Watts. Yes, that's a great call, man. Okay, okay, I, I can I can get with that. <laughs> uh, Paul, we need someone to rise up. We we've mentioned a few names. I know you've got a couple gelling in that head right now. Genius, spit them out. I'm, I'm picturing the the Dark Knight Rises scene where you have to clamber out of that pit and they're all circled around chanting in some ancient <laughs> Middle Eastern language. It means rise, right? And of course, half you know most of the dudes jump and they can't make the leap and they break their neck. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, I, I think Alfred Collins has an opportunity to go to the next level. You know, oh. Alfred Collins gave us some really good snaps. However... Not always the level of consistency that you got from a Byron Murphy who, so Byron Murphy, the beauty of that guy and why I wish we could get another year out of him, but he's going to go get paid and God bless him. Mm-hmm. His floor was so high on every play and his ceiling was high on, on every play as well. And, and that's what we need out of Alfred. He, Alfred Collins has some stuff on tape this year. That's shocking. Like, if you're an NFL scout, you go, yes. oh, my God. Uh, but he has some other stuff that's not poor, but it's, yeah, hey, I did my job. I neutralized the guy in front of me. The ball went out over there. I'm good. And it's not a lack of effort. It's more, um, you know. Contentment? I wouldn't even say contentment. Is he? Can he anchor? Yeah. Byron Murphy can anchor when he needs to anchor. He can also penetrate. You know, Byron Murphy is a burrowing nose tackle. And what I mean by that is he's so low and so powerful, he can burrow into your backfield and he doesn't make the play, but he screws up all the blocking schemes. He screws up everything. And then a a glamorous linebacker like Drew Kelson swoops in and makes the tackle and he gets all the credit. Poor Byron gets none. Uh, But 
No, I mean, seriously, I think that's what we need from Alfred is that play-by-play impact. That's a guy who we already know is good but can rise, right, and go that next level. Uh, Jelani McDonald is like one of these wild cards that we don't know. I, I think pure speed, I, I'll take it at safety. I love it. But length and quickness are equally, if not more important, uh, at, at some, and depending on how you, you play your defense at safety. And I think Jelani provides that. Um, I think you're going to see the growth of the freshman, obviously. Look, can Colin Simmons impact things? I mean, look, we see the tape. I don't think he's an every down player. Not yet. Not yet. But uh, like here, I'll make a prediction. When, when Colin Simmons gets to Texas, he's going to go against Kelvin Banks, a 315 pound man with good feet. And he's going to encounter something he's never encountered. A guy stronger than him with good enough feet to match his crazy quickness. And he's going to have to find some moves to, to deal with that. Now, if he goes against a pure power tackle without great feet, which is, you know, half a college football, he's going to swoop right past him and then do stuff. But, you know, he also weighs 225. He doesn't have the, the, the speed to power conversion yet because he doesn't have the power. He needs to get up in the 240s, right? Yeah. And, and learn to break down people's hands, all that stuff. I mean, I, I don't need to get into all that. But, you know, also we, we, we could see just natural improvement. Sadir Mitchell, I know what that guy can be, and it's Tavondre Sweat. Yes. I don't know how long it's going to take. He might be on Tavondre Sweat's timeline, or it might start to happen next year. So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I'm actually very eager to hear y'all's thoughts on some of the individual players you're looking at. I, th- I think what, I, what I'm seeing from a development standpoint, and in the way that we're building this roster, it's – at the end of the day, we, we get concerned about portal and stacking on t- stacking talent. And I think having talent in the program is key from a depth perspective and from a competitive perspective. But if you want to go to the NFL, if you want to play at the next level, if you couldn't earn a spot at Texas, your chances of earning a spot elsewhere, not to say you couldn't, it just it's a different story. It's just yeah. a different story. And if you're a guy who left early, uh I mean, that, that's, that, that, that wants to leave early, that's one thing. But I think at the end of the day, what I'm looking for, what I'd like to see, we absolutely – two things. We need to figure out who can who's going to fit the runs right in the front seven. We have no idea what our defensive line is going to look like without Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat. We need our front seven to be consistently fitting the run game as well as they could compared to this year because – that anchors everything else you do in your defense if you're sound in the run game. And the way that we stopped the run this year, I currently don't see us stopping it in the same way next year. It's not to say that we can't, but we're not. Right. We just have two bona fide, the two best DTs in the country. So that's the key thing I want to see tweak from personnel is who's going to be the best, who's going to be the best fit to help us stop the run, who's going to show up as far as linebackers go. Uh, but who's going to really anchor that D line? And we have a lot of options there. Uh, I don't. Who knows what Trill Carter is going to look like the next year in yeah. this program? Is Vernon Broughton going to take another step? Um, uh, I'd like to see David Benda. I mean, you mentioned that, Paul. If David Benda comes back and you move Anthony Hill in the middle, I, I feel really good about what we could do. What we could do there. So the front seven is important to me. But two, I think we need to test, challenge, and we need to figure out who our who our best corners are going to be. Um, at the end of the day, if it's Malik Muhammad and a new guy, but we need 
people that we want to dare you to go at him. Like that's where I want to see us develop to from a corner perspective. I cannot think of the last person we've had who you would dare. I want you to go at that corner. We had Muhammad for, for Washington recency bias. That dude smothered, smothering guys. Yeah. Um, he was, he was, he was sticky, a big physical presence, but sticky was on guys. I want to, I want us to, to continue. We talk about safeties, but I want to see us continue to develop the corner position because that's the position we know is playing man. Every, every, I mean, supposedly covering a man every play. Yeah. Yeah. The safety is going to vary the plane run, but the corners absolutely have to be sound in coverage. Um, I, I want to see those guys get tested this offseason. Uh, who's going to come for, for, for Terrence Brooks? Um, who's going to challenge Malik Muhammad and continue to raise the bar uh, for that position moving forward? And push those guys as well. That's the beauty of the depth. And that's why I like Sark's Pete Carroll mindset. At USC, they competition at every position was the number one priority. Like they would stack talent on talent on talent and they would just say, duke it out. And I think that's part of, of Sark's coming from the Pete Carroll tree, you know, stack talent, let them duke it out. And hopefully the good rises to the top. Uh, let's get a parting shot. Cause this has been outstanding guys. And I can't thank you guys enough. We'll start with Ian. We'll go to drew. And then Paul's got a little tidbit he'd like to share before we part. Ian parting shot. Here's the handoff. Uh, there's going to be a lot of things to work out this spring. Um, I think Texas's best outcome next year, aside from Quinn developing and, and honing all the, the fine tuned skills that prevented him from exiting for the draft after this year. That's, that's probably number one, most important thing for Texas. But the number two is there's going to be the, you know, the young player that emerges where it's like, Oh, like Jelani McDonald turns out that he's ready to be Earl Thomas. Okay. Okay. Jeray Bledsoe ends up leapfrogging everybody at defensive tackle and dominates. That's a name. Okay. Um, you know, Anthony Hill gets better. That's probably going to happen. Right. So uh, everybody just subscribed inside Texas. And as we learn this spring, who those guys are going to be, you'll have a better idea. What about you, Drew? We're we're about to transition from a from a proud, excited um, fan base of, of loving the guys who have sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. Your Whittingtons, your Fords, your 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 Tavondre sweats. Um, you know, we're about to transition to to really more of a "What have you done for me lately?" type perspective on this oh. team. Uh, because we have appreciated what guys have done to put in the work over the last three years in this program. But now it's who's next up. And if that guy is not the guy, then it's who is next up. And so I think as a fan base, as a team, I mean, it's it's open. The, the, the roster is open. The spots are open. Um, this is going to be a battle this offseason. I hope Sark drives it home that nobody is safe. Everything is open. It is your spot to go get. And that, I think, um, there's a lot of work uh, this offseason. There's a lot of time between now and August. But I do think we're going through a transition phase to where now we're all all the warm and fuzzies are gone about the, the players and the people we have affinity for. Right. And we're going to have to figure out who's next. And I hope uh, this offseason, I expect there to be a ton of competition 
um, that that helps us sort through that as we as we move forward into to next into the summer and into August. So I'm just looking forward to that ride. RPO to Paul. I love it. Uh, no batted ball. I'm going to catch it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Got to unleash that 5-0 speed, Drew. Uh, listen, two things. One might be a lead for a future offseason X's and O's, hint, hint. But Drew mentioned that we are going to see a decline in run defense because of personnel loss, no doubt. The more provocative question might be, do we want to be a little less awesome against the run purposely? Meaning the great insight of recent college defense and NFL defense is let's play the run with the least box possible because the pass is the thing that hurts you the most. And then we'll play the run situationally. Do we have the ability to stop the third and two? Do we have the ability to stop the run in the red zone? And we don't really care if there's an eight-yard gain on the 31-yard line if we're preventing a 27-yard completion. So that's a provocative thought that we can all discuss because uh, it's a battle of old school football mindset, which I've got a little in my head, with the reality of the new analytics and the passing game rules, which are not fair to the defense. Let's be honest. So that's one thought. And then the second thought is I want to evaluate your superstition, gentlemen. These kicks arrived right before the Washington game, the new Nike Airs. They didn't quite nail the burnt orange, but it's in the neighborhood. Uh, I wore them for the game. I, I, I've i told y'all before, I think I've mentioned before, I do push-ups when I get nervous when Texas is playing. Uh, <laughs> and my, the number of push-ups I do is indicative of the tightness of the game. Against Baylor, I think I did 40. Against uh, Washington, I did 220. And I woke up very <laughs> slow. Uh, these kicks are 0-1, gentlemen. That's a fact. They may need to stay 0-1. Oh, do I put them in a Viking funeral pyre? Or do I give these kicks another chance because every day is a new day? Paul. I want to understand your perspective. Are you superstitious or just a little stitious? Paul, my wife won't make it to 54 minutes. No, she won't. She won't make it into this, this video so I can say this. She bought me those exact same shoes and the orange wasn't right. So it didn't really work for me. Oh. And they're still in the box. If it, if it isn't right, when you said the orange wasn't right, it was like, that's you just... It's still in the box in my closet. I haven't put them on. And I'm not saying you're the reason for this, Paul, but anytime in the future when you get, if the orange isn't right, if it doesn't feel right, just let it go, man. If the orange doesn't fit, you got to quit. You got to re-equip. You got to go in another uh, direction. I'll say this. Maybe there's a Nike sponsorship. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this. My son wore the same jersey Every game this season, except one game, he didn't wear it. Texas OU, and it, the reason was I didn't have him that weekend, and so I wasn't able to get him that. And we made it imperative that he wore it for the Washington game. I'm of the the superstition; it resets every year. Okay, it, 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 it'll reset because you'll come up with new new nuances, new things, new new storylines, new little things here and there. So, I'm going to I'm I'm with Drew. If it's not the true orange, I'm a little iffy, but let's re you can reset it, Paul. I, I don't want you to waste a nice pair of shoes. I, I think you can reset it. Let's work on the spring game. 
If the spring game is a W, I think we can move from there. I think we can look forward there. If if they take an L in in April, those shoes got to go. I mean, they they got to go Goodwill style. So, guys, thank you so much. Uh, This has been so much fun. I'm I'm so glad. You don't care about Ian? I do. I do. I want Ian. I'm sorry. Ian, throw it out so we can end this thing. I don't care what you do with your shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I knew Ian's superstition, and it's hydrating. It's, It's peeing like a champion. And that's what Ian does. And that's why the Boyd family is my family. So thank you again, you three, for for, for joining me today. This was fun. This was enjoyable. And it was mostly insightful. That's what I love about you guys. Uh, The Brain Trust at Inside Texas. Please come see us at InsideTexas.com. We're running a special. Come see us. uh, Get a month for a dollar. We're going into 2025's recruiting cycle. We're going into 2024 spring ball. There's a ton of stuff to cover. And we've got something on it every single day. With Ian Boyd, with Drew Kelson, with Paul Wadlington, I'm your host, Justin Wells. Thank you for being a part, letting us be a part of your day-to-day at InsideTexas.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel, powered by InsideTexas.com.